So I, I'm looking around on a lot of the communion tables, and I don't see a whole lot of sermon notes. Last service, uh, version didn't have the thing up, so I told people to grab a hard copy, and apparently they all did. So I don't... Do we have any more? There's some over there? Some over there? Okay, so... Uh, sorry. Welcome to Element. If you're new, there are Bibles in the back. They don't own one. You can have one. If you forgot one, you can use one. There are sermon notes in the communion tables throughout the room, except for this one next to me over here. <laughs> uh, if you have a smartphone, you can download an app. It's called Uversion. And on Uversion, you click on Live. It'll bring us up by GPS in your smartphone. You will get all the sermon notes, the verses, and the questions on the back as well. So you can hang out with your gospel communities and do those kind of things. Uh, as Britt said... Uh, Christmas Day, there are no services. Christmas Eve is on Saturday. Christmas is on a Sunday. And if you are that guilty that you have to go to church on Christmas morning, you're going to be here alone because I am not getting out of bed. That's all I'm saying. Sorry. Uh, besides, I will be at church on Christmas Day because the last 11 o'clock service, I'll probably get out of here about 1230. So, ha. All right. 7, 9, 11, Christmas Eve services. I love Christmas Eve services. Okay, because this room looks amazing at night as well. Now, uh, there should be some people in the room. they got bags like this. Yay! Okay, split out that there. Now, what they're going to do is they're going to hand you out one of these bags. What you're going to do with this bag is you are going to go home this week, and you're going to make some cookies. And you're going to give them all to me. Now, you're going to go home, you're going to make some cookies. And what you're going to do is you're going to fill this bag, at least with a dozen, hopefully with a little more cookies. Next week, we're going to put them out. You guys get to eat those cookies. But we want everybody to make some so we have tons and tons. Because what we do with all the extra cookies is on Christmas Eve, we send them out to Vandenberg Air Force Base to the guys who have to work on Christmas Eve. Okay, so, yay. Well, you know, they clapped last service. It wasn't my idea. It was somebody else's, but I'll take all the good credit for it. So whatever. All right. Uh, so we sent it out there. Last year, they got a bunch of cookies from you guys. They were totally thankful and loved it. So take some of these bags and make sure you bring them back filled with cookies so we can bless the guys out there on the base after work on Christmas Eve. Uh, as they pass this out, I just want to remind you a couple things. As the Christmas party, the Element Christmas party next Saturday is coming up, uh, we are doing food from 5 to 6, and we want you guys to sign up. You can still come if you don't sign up, so don't feel like, oh, I didn't sign up, I can't come. Invite your neighbors, invite all your friends, bring them over, but it's a good idea for us to know how much food to make. Because you don't want to show up and be like, all the food's gone, grr. You can't be angry if you didn't sign up. If you signed up, apparently you can't. But sign up in the back if you're going to come just so we know how much food to make. Uh, again, food is 5 to 6. If you're not, if you're going to show up after 6, uh, I guess you don't have to. Where's Kathy at? They don't have to worry about signing up. They're coming after 6, right? Because it's just for the food. Yeah, if you're coming after 6, just show up. If you're coming to eat food at 5, sign up so we know how much food to make. What do we have, by the way? Someone keeps asking me that. Jess, what do we have, by the way? It's good it's an outdoor event, because we were having chili. <laughs> Yay. Uh, one more thing to let you guys know about is Christmas for Kids is this thing that we do every Christmas. We grab some families that are falling through the cracks at Christmas time and try and help them out. Uh, right now, we the first year we did this, or third year, the first year we had about eight kids. Last year we had about 16. Right now, because of our economy and the really tough times, we have almost 40 kids that we're helping this year. The majority of those are from families outside of Element, which is a very good thing. We're helping some families from Domestic Violence Solutions, Good Samaritan Shelter. So we're doing a lot of stuff out in our community, help 
helping them. Uh, and in doing this, uh, we need donations for it. There's a donation box in the back. It's a present underneath that tree. All the money that goes in there goes strictly to Christmas for kids. And so if you are thinking about helping a family out uh, this Christmas, do that. It is next Saturday. Because we have so many kids, we need lots of extra helpers. If you like to spend other people's money and take people shopping, awesome. We have just the perfect thing for you. You can take a family out shopping for them for Christmas and spend everybody else's money who donates. Yay, way to go. Uh, We'd also need people to continue to make some cookies for it next week because again you know it's like jesus cookies heaven something like that how that works so come and make cookies we'll give them to the families to take home i think i got all my stuff why don't you guys stay on there reading god's word this is luke chapter 1 verses 46 and 47 this is mary speaking and she says my soul glorifies the lord and my spirit rejoices in god my savior Let's pray. Father, this morning I ask that we would be a people who understand how to rejoice. And like we do, like Mary does, and understand that our rejoicing comes because you are God, our Savior. And that we would live lives that fully reflect that. Amen. Have a seat. So we are doing this short three-week series before Christmas, looking at some people from church history. Periodically, if we have an extra week somewhere, which we usually don't because I plan things out so much in advance, but if we do, maybe we'll do something like this in the future. Last week, we looked at St. Patrick. Today, we're looking at St. Mary. Next week, we'll look right before Christmas at this guy named St. Nicholas. Oh, we've all heard about him. Yes, it's good. If you came to this series of People of Hope, this actually really almost dovetails in because these people become a people of hope. And when we say the term saint, a lot of people have a problem with the word because they think that we're making somebody better than somebody else. The New Testament word saint comes from this Greek word called hagios. Everybody say hagios. Hagias, it means the holy ones. It is that God's righteousness is given to us. That is what makes us saints. God is the one who does it. And at the same time that God says we are holy, that says we are saints, we're also ordered to become more holy. In 1 Peter 1, 15 and 16, it says, He who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. So it says, you're holy, but you need to be holy. And it's kind of like this whole little thing that kind of comes together like what do we do with that open your bibles to second corinthians chapter five i know if you have you version you're already there just think bam i like people to open their bibles so open them second corinthians chapter five verse 18 this is another verse that kind of goes along with this and it's about reconciliation second corinthians five eighteen to 21 it says all this is from god who, who through christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation that is in christ god was reconciling the world to himself not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation therefore we are ambassadors for christ god making his appeal through us we implore you on behalf of christ be reconciled to god for our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So God calls us, says, says you are reconciled, but we're also called, called to be reconciled. We're set apart, we're holy, yet we're also called to set ourselves apart and dedicate ourselves, become closer and strive for more purity with God. So how does that work? These two things seems like they're mutually exclusive. Well, I'll tell you in a couple sentences, you will save a whole seminary tuition right here. Uh, you're welcome. All true believers who trust in Jesus Christ for their salvation are reconciled to God through Jesus. We have his holiness placed upon us as believers. And yet then God calls us daily in our lives to strive for more closeness, to make efforts to please him. And in that, in following him, we will then become sanctified, more holy in our lives as we follow him 
closer. So anytime you read the words uh, saints in the Bible or holy, don't ascribe someone more uh, meaning than is actually warranted by those words. People who trust in Christ, we are the saints. And so when we talked about this, we ran over a bunch of different things we wanted to talk to you guys about in this, but in the end we come down to the idea of how they saw Jesus and the mission that he called them to, how they lived that, and how our lives can have a much deeper heritage by understanding them and how they lived. So last week we looked at St. Patrick, we looked at the Celtic view of evangelism. Today we're going to look at uh, Jewish mother's view and what this looks like. Moms, if, if you are loving your kids and, and raising them well, that is mission. That is evangelism. That is a very high calling. And Mary today for us is a very tough subject for Protestants because we don't really focus on Jesus' mother a whole lot at all. In part, it's, it's an overreaction to the improper emphasis placed upon Mary by other religious traditions. Now, if you are part of one of these other religious traditions who venerates Mary very highly, my goal here today is not to offend you. Okay, So please don't be offended. We are simply going to look at Mary and who she really was, the Saint Mary. So if you're a mom, you might connect here today. Everybody else, you're going to love me because this is a shorter message. Yay! Merry Christmas. You don't get them very often, so there you go. Open your Bibles to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. Uh, Jewish girls in the first century were usually betrothed around 12 to 13 years of age, so junior high. So anytime you read something about Mary and the birth narratives, you have to think about this. This girl is that young. She's going to get hitched, and she's going to give birth in junior high. Luke chapter 1, verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. And I love this. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. Because anytime God shows up to people and goes, Greetings, favored one. It's like, oh crap, what is he going to call me to do now? Because every time God shows up, it's like, oh my goodness, well, what, what are we going to do? And the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Wonderful. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. Now she, again, junior high girl, you know, she, she's virgin, hasn't had sex yet, so she has very practical questions. In verse 34, she goes, how so? I'm a virgin. I, I know how things work, and that's not how it works. The angel continues to tell her stuff, and in verse 37 says, for nothing will be impossible with God. Literally, this is for no word of God will fail. This is very strong to a Jewish consciousness. In Genesis 1, God speaks everything into existence. The light, the expanse, living creatures. The word of God is creating and sustaining. It is this idea of this force that brings everything into existence and continues to sustain it. It brings about and continues to bring about the will of God. So when the angel says, for nothing will be impossible with God, this sinks in very deeply with her because of her roots. And she responds in verse 38, Behold, I am a servant of the Lord's. Let it be to me according to your word. Literally, okay, I got it. Let's go. Just like Patrick did last week, where as soon as God reveals the dream, Patrick's like, okay, going to the Celts, I got it. Let's go. Mary's response is, I'm open, let's get this going. This should actually be our attitude in prayer whenever God reveals something to us about redeeming and putting things back together. Bam, on mission with him, going where he wants us to go. The fundamental way you have to understand that the scriptures begin is with God as creator making all things. And this is risky for Mary because she's stepping into the creator's realm. She is joining him on mission. That can be scary. Sometimes people say things like, well, I just want to be in God's will. Or there's no safer place than the center of God's will. And I always think, what God are you talking about? 
Because I will tell you, God's will is a furiously dangerous place to be. We never know where it's going to take us. God's will should come with e-tickets and safety belts and, and safety straps. Because it's, it's just crazy in the middle of God's will. And that's what we have to understand. That, that when we're called to live in God's will, it can be scary. Go to Luke chapter 2. The child is born. Mary and Joseph are Torah-observant Jews. They follow all the customs when the child is born. Say, so take the child to the temple. Luke chapter 2, verse 22. And when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, that's the Torah, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. This is dedication. Verse 25. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. Okay? Now, this guy, this Jewish guy, knows that his people needed saving, that God would redeem them. Simeon knew that God's people had veered totally off course, and he is waiting for God's redemption, God's redeemer to come. He sees this baby, and he says these words in verse 29. Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you are prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. Picture a junior high girl holding this baby who she knows is special, but not really how special. And an old man comes up and says, this baby, finally, I have seen the salvation of the world. Now I can die in peace. That is not bad for a baby, right? If you're a, a junior high mom and that's your kid, you love this guy, right? Any guy who tells a mom these words like, I love you. You want to come over for dinner? You can live in my house. Just say this stuff all the time. You're, you're wonderful. Verse 33, and his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to, his, to Mary, his mother, talks to her, not Joseph, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. And the sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. What he essentially says is this child is going to reveal what is inside of people. If there are people who have hard hearts, he can make them soft. If there are people who are opposed to the will of God, he can bring about God's purposes and make them open. This kid is going to be a lightning rod. And he says to Mary, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also. This child is going to take you places where your soul is going to be pierced, Mary. So Joseph and Mary follow Jewish customs with Jesus. In Luke 2.42, Jesus is 12. His family goes to Jerusalem to Passover, to go to the temple. Passover is a huge affair. Millions of sacrifices take place. At 12 years old is the first time a firstborn Jewish boy would offer a sacrifice on behalf of himself and his family. Very symbolic for a family. And I wonder if Jesus offering this sacrifice thinks this is what's going to happen to me. Verse 43, And when the feast was ended, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents did not know it, but supposing him to be in the group, they went a day's journey. This is not Mary and Joseph being totally horrible parents, not knowing where their kid is. Essentially, you would have huge families that would go to Passover. And so they'd all get their kids together, and they'd start heading back. So they assume Jesus is hanging out with the other kids, watching the DVD player on the Windstar, seeing a camel. You know, and, and they finally find out the next day, oh, he's not really here, so they have to go back. Verse 46, after three days, which is interesting, this comes up a few times in Jesus' life, after three days they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. This is actually how a rabbi teaches. They would sit and they ask Jesus does this the rest of his life. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. 
Now, the word anxious, or the word astonished is the word plato. In, in context, it's, it's ex plato. But what it means is a blow to be knocked out of your senses. So Mary's floored. The word anxious is the word uadano, and it means pain and sorrow and grief and stress of mind. At 12 years old, Jesus knocks her out of her senses and pierces her soul. Jesus responds in verse 49, Why were you looking for me? Do you not know that I must be in my father's house? And they said, Why can't you be like other kids? But they did not understand what he was saying to them. And he went down with them to him Nazareth and submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. And when you read the word treasured, you think, oh, it's such a hallmark word. Oh, it's so nice. It's so wonderful. Remember when we went to Jerusalem in the spring of 12 and Jesus got lost. Oh, it was so wonderful. The, the word treasured is this word deatarajo. And what it means is it's used in reference to prison guards who watch over their prisoners to keep careful watch. It's less... Ah, sweet, and more like, oh, i got to keep an eye on what's going on here. It's like she doesn't quite know what to do with Jesus. I once heard uh, someone say that being a parent is when your heart leaves your body and walks around outside of it, is when you have kids. Uh, Turn to Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4 doesn't mention Mary, but I'm sure she's got to be here. Jesus returns to Galilee. The news about him is spreading into all that's happening. Luke chapter 4, verse 15 and it says, And he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. So this is where his family lives. Jesus paints a picture, I mean, Luke paints a picture of Jesus as a very observant Jew. He goes into town, essentially to preach his first sermon in his hometown. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read, verse 17, And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He reads the rest, and in verse 21 says, Today the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. So he comes to his hometown, preaches his first sermon, reads from the great prophet Isaiah, who said one day the promises of God's redemption will come. And Jesus reads this and says, Everything Isaiah wrote about is me. Huge claim. They're amazed at this teaching from Joseph's son. And this goes on for a little bit, and they have a discussion, and eventually Jesus basically says, you claim to be the people of God, but you don't really care about the things God cares about, and for you, judgment is coming. Now, you've got to understand, Mary, some mom, getting all the other moms, hey, my son's preaching his first sermon, you've got to come down and hear it. Joseph's getting the dads, hey guys, my dad's preaching, or my, my son's preaching, come down, we've got to hear his first sermon. And Jesus preaches the least sensitive sermon ever in the history of the Jewish faith. It's just Awesome. Verse 28. All the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. They got up, drove him out of the town, and took him to the brow of a hill on which the town was built in order to throw him down the cliff. Made me feel much better about the awkwardness after my first sermon, by the way. But he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. Now, if you are Mary, your soul has just been pierced again. Getting water from the well is extremely awkward now. Exchanging your goods for food in town from the merchants is very uncomfortable. They tried to kill your son. Hey, you coming over for gospel community this week? Uh, no, you tried to kill my kid. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also. When you say okay to an angel, okay to God, I'm in, this is not what people see coming. Oh, God's going to bless me. Everything's going to be so wonderful. This is the realness of life. You never know where it's going to lead. Luke says Mary's town wants to kill her boy, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also. Open to Luke chapter 8. It's only basically a couple of references to Mary after Luke 8. 
Uh, in Luke 8, verse 19, uh, Jesus is teaching some people. And this is what happens, 8.19. Then his mother and his brothers came to him, but they could not reach him because of the crowd. And he was told, Your mother and your brothers are standing outside desiring to see you. But he answered them, My mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. So it's like this expectation. Mary and her, and her kids show up. Hey, let's go see your brother Jesus. He's preaching. It's nice and good. I'm sure everybody will make way and let us in. So hey, so come, someone go tell Jesus his parents are here. And Jesus basically says that the bonds of the kingdom of God are stronger than familial biological bonds. You get a new family. I would hate to be the messenger who had to go back to Mary. Oh, Mary, Jesus said, <laughs> What? Oh, he said he's got... <laughs> I, it got lost in translation. I, I really don't know what, what he said. You've got to hang out and just ask him. I mean, and the sword will pierce through your own soul also. I mean, is this an attempt for Mary to connect with her boy? Because a mother basically gives birth to a child and spends the rest of her life learning to let go. Jesus' path is probably not the one that Mary would have chosen for him, but it's the, God's plan. It's what God called him to do. And again, I sometimes wonder how Mary responds to this thing in Luke 8 because you don't see her again for a really long time in Scripture. In Luke 13, you hear that Herod, Herod, King Herod, is trying to kill Jesus. First it's Mary's village, then it's religious leaders, and now the most powerful man in the region wants her son dead. Open your Bibles to the book of John, chapter 19. Here's, this is a reference at the end of Jesus' life. It gets placed in there pretty quickly. He's got a crown of thorns, carries his own cross, he gets mocked, beaten, he goes to the place of crucifixion. Jesus gets crucified. Soldiers are gambling for Jesus' stuff because they think it's a game. And in John 19, verse 25, it says, But standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. In the NIV, it says, Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother. Mary is there at the end. Mary never gave up on her boy. Jesus has a spear thrust in his side that pierces his heart. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also. The word soul can also be translated as heart. And a sword will pierce through your own heart also. Open to Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1 is after the crucifixion. Jesus has risen from the dead. He has ascended into heaven. The disciples are at the birth of this new movement, Christianity, the church. And they're trying to scramble to figure out what to do. Acts chapter 1, starting in verse 12. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mountain called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying, Pete and John and Jim and Andy and Phil and Tom and Bart and Matt and Jim, the other one, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot and Judas, who probably really wanted to change his name now, the son of James. All these, with one accord, were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. Joseph is probably dead at this point. But at this place, the beginning of this movement, after the resurrection, Mary is there with Jesus' brothers. The ones who used to make fun of Jesus, who didn't believe him. In Mark 3, they actually go to try and get Jesus and bring him home because they think he's crazy. And rising from the dead has a way to change people's perceptions. Sorry about all the jokes, Jesus. Didn't mean it. Uh, you, know. you, at this point, you don't see Mary again at all in Scripture. Her death is not mentioned in Scripture. And yet there's something epic about who she was. And from this time onward, things become stranger and stranger. In the second century, Irenaeus, the early church father, depicted Mary as what was called a second Eve. This lays the foundation for getting rid of her life, for getting her life, and starting to build an unbiblical view of Mary. After Irenaeus in the second century, a baptismal creed comes about and refers to Jesus as being born of the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary, which is true. But it's just another step. In the 4th century, some churches began to be dedicated to Mary. 
In the 5th century, at the Council of Ephesus, it declared Mary the mother of God, which in one sense is true. Jesus is fully God, fully man, and so in one sense she was, but just kind of another step. And it further encourages devotion to Mary. In the 8th century, Germanus of Constantinople said that Mary dispenses grace to the church on earth. He is one of the leading proponents of what's called Mary being a mediatrix, meaning she she participates in saving people along with Jesus. In the 12th century, Bernard of Clairvaux popularized the idea that Mary dispenses grace to Christians. And said, and this is where the Hail Mary prayer came about. Not the football pass, the Hail Mary, Mary prayer comes about. And it is then combined with the rosary. In the 14th century, this title, Co-Redemptrix, first appears in Catholic literature, speaking of Mary as participating with Jesus in our redemption. This concept actually continues to gain popularity to where even in recent times, the late Pope John Paul II spoke of it on multiple occasions. In the 15th century, Pope Sixtus IV spoke of the spiritual motherhood of Mary over all Christians. The Hail Mary prayer is then changed to the current form that we have it today. In the 19th century, shrines become dedicated to Mary in places like Lourdes, France, or Fatima, Portugal. In the 20th century, Pope Pius XII declared that Mary ascended into heaven like Jesus. He called for a memorial of Mary's role as queen, dispensing grace to Christians, and said that she was so united with Jesus that she was involved in his suffering, which was true because a sword will pierce through your own soul also, but also our salvation. I would tell you, our salvation is found in Jesus and him alone. There are extremes in venerating Mary too much, but many Christians are also prone to extremes of maybe esteeming her a little too less. See, her image has inspired people for years. My wife and I were in Italy last year, and almost every cathedral has a picture that looks like this, a stained glass picture of, of Mary. Mary has gone through every culture, Every culture. You see Mary with the praying hands. Uh, uh, Later, after uh, Caesar started to be worshipped as God throughout all the cultures, the church started to draw pictures like this, where you had Jesus representing a Caesar figure with Mary. Today, people find Mary in rocks. They find Mary in brain scans. You see it? Yeah, yeah. Uh, it even goes into our current culture of video games. they got rock band Mary. There's a lot of people who want to venerate Mary, and they go and they buy the Home Depot tub special, and they stick them in their lawns. Uh, there's actually some Aryans who let's oh, we're going to reimagine Mary as blonde hair and blue-eyed, and this is what they come up with. Man, she didn't look like that, by the way, just, just letting you know. This, is, this right here is probably my favorite picture of Mary, is this one right here that loving her boy. Mary is simply a very godly young woman who loved God, who trusted him, and despite great risk to her own reputation, was on mission with God. She repeatedly appears as devout throughout the scriptures who love God, and she's a loving mother to Jesus. Contrary to some crazy teaching that comes out today, Mary did not remain a virgin. I mean, Joseph would just hate life if that was true. All right? But she mothered other sons like James and Jude, who then visited Jesus with Mary during his public ministry. They later become pastors in the early church who pen books of the New Testament. James becomes the leader of the church in Jerusalem. The Mary of scriptures differs greatly from the Mary of myth, legend, and folklore. 
See, the real Mary is a wonderful example for young women to love God, retain their faith and purity until marriage as a demonstration of their love for God. The real Mary is a great example for moms. She was a godly woman who was best known for the sons that she raised, not just Jesus, but also her other sons, who God used to change the entire world. The real Mary is also a wonderful example for all people of what it truly means to trust God in all things, obey God when His call is difficult, to worship in faith that God is always good for His promises, to fellowship with God's people in the church, to live on mission, calling, fully committed to Christ, to love her God, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, lastly, in talking about this, God throughout the Scriptures calls Himself a Father. He reveals Himself that way. But God is so much bigger than simply Father. Many times what you see throughout the Scriptures is God loves and chases down His kids like a mom chases down her kids who are hurting. God always cares about those on the underside of power. If you look at Mary, it can actually give you a good glimpse of what God is like in His care for His people. In Genesis chapter 6, when God floods the entire earth, it says this, The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. Literally, this means his heart was filled with pain. The word for grief here means uncontrollable sobbing. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also. I think when his son dies on the cross for the sin of mankind, God's heart is pierced as Jesus' blood flows out. And yet God is a God who continues to care for and seek out his children like a good mother cares for her children. And we continue to this day to pierce his heart daily. And yet our great God still calls us home. And we are called to worship this God. We honor those throughout history who have been faithful like Mary. But God is God and we worship him alone. So today... Take a cue from Mary. Worship Jesus. That's who she worshipped. You trust God even when your life is hard and your soul is pierced because Mary shows us something of a God who refuses to give up. God calls his people saints, the holy ones. And in that, we are called not to give up. We are holy because of Christ's blood placed upon us. But we are to not give up and move forward and trust this great God who sent his son to die for us through this great, godly young woman called Mary, who in turn worships Jesus. This morning, we invite you guys to communion, where you break that cracker like Christ's body is broken for us. You dip it in the wine of the grape juice, remind us of his blood that was shed for you and I, so that we can understand that our great God came to save and redeem us, and that we now are called saints by putting our faith and our trust in him. The band's going to come up. They would do a couple songs, and as they do, we invite you to take communion. We invite you, if you need prayer, there'll be some deacons and elders in the back. And if you need prayer for anything, they'd love to pray with you. But most importantly, if you have venerated anything in your life above Jesus, they're a great place to go and repent and to pray. If you have never given your life to Jesus Christ, today's the perfect day. I mean, it should be like a great Christmas gift for you. Merry Christmas, salvation, saint, redemption. Awesome. They're offering boxes in the sidewall in the back. We give because God gave so much to us. Giving is simply part of our worship. It's a response to what he has done. And so we simply give. We don't pass the plate. We let you guys do it in response to what he has done. Uh, there's some food and coffee and stuff in the back. We invite you guys to get together, to get to know, get to know some other people. Uh, maybe invite somebody out to lunch today. Ask the questions on the back of, well, it's not there anymore, but on, on the back of the, uh, the sermon notes. 
and maybe kind of go through and think about what, what does it mean when we start to venerate people too much instead of worship who Jesus truly is? Because we need to truly be a people who worship Christ and Him alone. I mean, this is the point of Christmas. God revealing Himself as a baby that becomes a man, that dies for our sin, rises from the dead, and offers salvation to all people. Mary and you and I. Our great God who has loved us more than we can ever think or imagine. Let's pray. Part of this morning, we do ask that we as a people would understand the great grace that you have offered to us. And that you have placed people throughout history who have heard your call and lived it in difficult times. And these are great examples to us as those who follow you. That even though everything can seem lost, it is not. Because you hold all things in your hands. You have sifted all things through your hands that come to us in our lives. And the way we may think they may be overwhelming to us, you know that they are not. Father, I ask that you would take us and have us understand the extravagance of your love and your grace that calls us to be people who fully rejoice in who you have revealed yourself to be. That we would live lives that reflect more accurately who you are. And at the places where we lose faith and we stumble and fall, that you simply lift us up and keep walking with us. Father, have us as the people move to the rhythms of your grace. So our hearts beat in time with yours. And that we can be these people who, like Mary, worship you and you alone. Thank you for revealing yourself to us and loving us the way that you do. Amen.